Before we actually begin, let's take a moment and cultivate our motivation. Think of why we're here and set a deliberate intention so that we make our sharing together today something that's beneficial for all of us and by extension for all of society and by extending that even further for all living beings. In other words, by transforming ourselves and developing our own good qualities, may the fullest extent of that reach all living beings and improve the qualities of their lives and help them to be free from all misery. So let's set that as our intention for being together now. is the most important aspect of what we do and who we are. And uh, this is something that really appealed to me. Uh, I didn't grow up Buddhist, but when I encountered the Buddhist teachings, this emphasis on the motivation really appealed to me because it pointed out that uh, at the end of the day, you really can't fool anybody. (laughs) And you can, you know act as hypocritically as you want to and the world may believe it but at the end of the day uh, we, can, we can't fool ourselves you know and so that really appealed to me because it, it called forth for me I had to have a degree of self-honesty and integrity that I had not really learned um, you know in our society Because so often in our society, the emphasis is on, uh, well, the bottom line is making a buck, isn't it? Yeah? And that's how we gauge everything in our society, is according to the almighty dollar. And so we can do this and that and the other thing to try and get money, and then everything everything we think money will do for us, where whether it actually does or not is another question. But, uh, you know, we may get a lot of things, but at the end of the day, we have to live with ourselves. And uh, we can make ourselves look good, but looking good isn't really enough. In our society, looking good is what it's all about, isn't it? You know, you don't have to be good. You don't have to have any personal integrity. Yeah. You just have to look good. Yeah. And if you look good, then wow, everybody thinks that you're fantastic. And so, uh, you know, when we look around, I mean, we have the election coming up next year and all the candidates are trying to look good. You know, whether anybody actually looks inside their heart and says, 
what do I care about and what's important to uh, the living beings on this planet? I don't know because so much of it is all about image. Yeah. So we work very hard to create a good image and to get people to like us and get people to think that we're wonderful and blah, blah. But um, we become totally out of touch with what's inside ourselves when we do that. Completely out of touch. You know, because all we care about is creating this persona. And especially online, wow, you can create a lot of different personas. You can pretend to be a whole different person. Yeah. And it's still viewed as not lying. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you can pretend to be a whole different person online. But nobody sees that as lying. It's just like natural. But um, I don't think that appearances are, are really what life is all about because appearances are so superficial and uh, we're the one who has to live with ourselves and we know uh, what our real intentions are. So we can pull the wool over a lot of people's eyes and fool of them, but we can't fool ourselves. You know? And I think when people get to that point where they're trying to fool themselves and they can't do it very well, that then drinking and drugging and shopping and gambling and all the various addictions that we have, some legal, some illegal, come into play because we want to um, self-medicate because we're really out of touch with who we are and what's really important in our lives. And so everybody's trying to look good and, you know, climb up the corporate ladder, get a lot of money, you know, drive the right car, have the right kind of partner, whatever. Yeah. But when you come to the point of death, none of that makes any difference. It all stays here and our mind stream goes on. Yeah. with the imprints of the actions that we've done to get all these things. But all these things we've run around chasing our whole lives, they all stay here. can't take one of them with you. Yeah. You can't buy any insurance policy that says, you know, that your iPod can come with you when you die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and people feel so lost without their iPods now. You know, it's like, who am I? I'm out of touch. I'm all alone. You start having DTs, you know. <laughs> it's like, where's my iPod? If I can't get an iPod, well, any computer will do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're just so out of touch with what's going on inside here. So this is something that really attracted me about Buddhism because Buddhism is like, what's going on inside here? You know, what, what are you really feeling? What are you really thinking? What's motivating you? What are your aspirations in life? What are your intentions of li in life? What do you think life is all about? You know, when you die, what are you going to take with you? What do you think is important? Everybody's trying to make money, but at the time of death, you know, I've never heard of one person having the regret that they didn't work over more overtime and make more money. 
you know. Uh, you, you know, we hear about people regretting different things when they die. Have you ever heard of somebody regretting? I, I need to work more overtime. You know? I need more money. Well, that's not what people regret at the time of death. What is it? It's things they've done that they haven't owned responsibility for. And it's, you know, not having reached out to other people and helped people enough or not having repaired relationships where there were difficulties. That's what you hear about people regretting. Don't you think? You know, when you've watched parents and grandparents and relatives, you know, age, that's that's one of the big things that they face. And same with us, you know, it's not going to be any different from us, for us. So I think it's much better from the very beginning to keep our relationships very clean and keep, keep our ethical conduct um, really good. And when we make mistakes, to own them and learn from them. Yeah. So, I mean, making mistakes is quite natural, quite human. That's not the problem. It's when we don't learn from them. Or as somebody said, you know, falling down is quite natural, but it's when we don't pick ourselves up that then we have a problem. Okay. We always have to pick ourselves <coughs> up. So, uh, you know, this whole thing about motivation, I think it influences a lot how we feel about ourselves, and, uh, and it really influences the value of what we do. Mm-hmm. So, there's an example I always use to kind of... Uh, illustrate this. So there's a a group of people who are raising some money to build a clinic for uh, impoverished people somewhere. Yeah. And there's one person who comes along and says, okay, here's my check for a million dollars for your clinic. And and everybody says, wow, this person's so generous, this person's so fantastic, he gave a million dollars for our charity. But let's say his motivation was so that when they made the clinic, you know how at the entranceway sometimes they put up plaques about who gave the money? So he, he's giving the money so that they'll put his name at the entranceway to the clinic. Oh, so this clinic is due to so-and-so who so generously bequeathed a million dollars. And then he knows everybody in the community, you know, will know his name as being generous, as being rich. Okay. Uh, But, you know, that doesn't matter to people. He gave a million dollars and everybody thinks he's fantastic. Okay. Then there's some other person he doesn't have very much money, yeah, and gives $10, but they do it with a very strong intention. May anybody who comes in this clinic be cured from whatever ailments they have. And may everybody who works in this clinic be harmonious and help each other and help all the people that they serve. And then that guy gives their $10. Nobody pays attention to that guy, do they? The one who gave $10. The one who gave a million? Wow. But who was the generous person? 
Was the guy who made it, uh, gave a million dollars generous? Yeah. I mean, what his motivation was to get his own name recognized. Is that generosity? Is that care? Is that kindness? No, it's just pure, you know, ego fulfillment. The other guy who goes totally unnoticed, who gave $10, really had a good motivation, really cared for other people. He was the generous one. Okay. So this is what I'm getting at when, when I say that we can look good, but, you know, looking good doesn't really mean much. Because if our motivation is something totally different, then, yeah, we, you know, we're very far from being what we're pretending to be. So that's why in Buddhist practice we pay a lot of attention to our motivation. And in fact, you know, so that's why at the beginning of the session here we spent a couple of minutes really cultivating our motivation and, you know, saying, thinking about for the long-term good, of people and thinking about you know not just how we benefit but how you know by ben- by improving ourselves yeah by benefiting ourselves then we through the ripple effect can benefit many other people so i'm not saying that we sacrifice our own good and it's like uh, you know oh it's, it's bad to feel Uh, happy or it's bad to do something for ourselves. No, we can do something for ourselves with a good motivation. But the good motivation doesn't, isn't just I want it and I gotta get it and it's gonna benefit me and that's all I care about. Okay. Yeah. But the motivation is if, you know, if I can, like, coming here, if I come here and this helps me in my own heart, then I will be able to give more to others. Okay? When I eat to nourish my body, it's not just to keep me alive, yeah, or for me to feel good or enjoy the food, but by me keeping alive, may I then use my body and my actions to be of service to all living beings. Okay? So we do things for our own benefit, but also realizing that we live interdependently with everybody else. We stretch that out and have a, a, a motivation for the long-term benefit of everybody. And so that's why, uh, you know, when we wake up in the morning, we start out the day by generating our motivation. Most people don't think about that. Well, what was your first thought in the morning? The alarm clock rings. What's your first thought? (laughs) I want to sleep more. (laughs) How come that clock is ringing now? How much more can I sleep before I absolutely have to drag myself out of bed? Okay. (laughs) And then, what do we use to drag ourselves out of bed? Oh, I can have a cup of coffee. I can have a cup of tea. I can eat a donut for breakfast. Okay, I'll get up. (laughs) You know? So the motivation to have some pleasure. And then most of our day we spend looking for pleasure. Yeah? Uh, But I think there's really another way to live where we can have just as much pleasure in our life. But... uh, 
our intention is completely different. Okay? And what gives us pleasure also switches a bit. Because, uh, you know, you try waking up and, uh, and thinking first thing in the morning. Okay, what's the most important thing I have to do today? You might say, oh, I've got to go to work. I've got to go to my classes. Oh, I get to meet this friend. But if you really think about it, are those the most important thing you need to do in a day? Really, bottom line, what's the most important thing you need to do in any day? Can I propose the most important thing that we need to do is not harm anybody? Kind of bottom line, you know, for being alive today, most important thing is I don't want to harm anybody. Another important thing to do each day is to be a benefit to others as much as we can. That sound like an important thing to do in the day? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to have a motivation for our long-term spiritual goal. You know, whatever religion you are, to have a motivation to, you know, really hold that long-term spiritual goal and live from that part of yourself. You know, be an authentic person and live from what's uh, really valuable to you in your life. Okay? And so if you start the day out that way, then how you act during the day is going to change, isn't it? Then if you start the day out with, oh, you know, what nice person do I get to see and what pleasure do I have to have and what awful person do I have to meet and how can I get out of it? Yeah? Do you see how what you think really influences your mood? Yeah? Influences our mood tremendously. So if we start the day out really thinking, most important is not to harm anybody. Really, you know, at the bottom of my heart. Sure, sometimes anger takes over. Sure, sometimes I say things that I regret. But really, my most important thing is not to hurt. And if my anger comes or if I say mean things, at the end of the day, I want to do a little review and have some regret for those things and make a strong determination not to do them again. Okay. And if we do that, then at the end of the day, when we go to bed, we go to bed with a completely clear heart. You know, There's nothing uh, weighing on us. Because you know how sometimes when we say and do things that we know haven't been too cool, even though we've pulled the wool over people's eyes and they think we're acting really nice, at the end of the day in our own heart we feel crummy. You had that experience? Yeah? No? We're all very good at manipulating other people. So we go out, we manipulate this, that, we get somebody to sign a contract that we know isn't really good for them, but it's good for us. We get somebody to do something that we know isn't good for them, but it's good for us. We manipulate, okay? And all our friends may say, oh, wow, how did you pull that off? That's really cool. But when we go to bed at night, we feel like, 
yeah, not so good about what we did. Okay. So that's why before going to bed, we kind of look over the day. And if we started out the day with this intention not to harm and to benefit, then at the end of the day, you know, whatever good we do, and what, whenever we stopped ourselves from harming somebody, we pat ourselves on the back. Okay, so it's really important, I think, to rejoice at our own good actions and rejoice at what we do well and rejoice when we benefit others and rejoice when we, you know, restrain our anger a little bit, you know. And so we feel good about ourselves and we rejoice in our own virtue. And then the times when, you know, kind of our anger got out of control and we said something really mean to somebody or really mean about somebody, then in the evening we just sit and go, you know, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. It wasn't coming from a good place in me. I regret it. But tomorrow, you know, and from now on, I'm really going to try and be more conscientious about this. And so we have a determination not to do it again. And in that way we learn from our mistakes. And instead of carrying around guilt and regret and remorse and self-hatred, you know, we say, okay, I made a mistake. I don't have to carry my mistake around my whole life. I learn from it. And by learning from it, I change myself and therefore I change all my interactions with other people and become of more benefit. So it really makes a big difference in in how we live our lives. Because you can see, you know, uh, when you look at at older people, um, some of them are like, oh, like this, you know, like they're (laughs) with a pack of bricks on their head or on on their back, or they're really bitter, really grumpy. Do you have parents, grandparents? Aunts, uncles, they're like that. You can see it's like they have really so much like anger or bitterness or disappointment or something inside them, you know. And then there's other people when they're old, they're just like so cheerful and kind and loving. Yeah, we've been able to see this, haven't we? And and I think this comes from how they've what they've done in their lives, how they've lived their whole lives. Because when we do a lot of actions in which we harm others or in which we get angry or jealous and we don't remedy those emotions in any kind of way, then they just weigh on our heart and we just get weighed down and we become bitter, angry old people, you know, or depressed old people. Whereas if we learn from our mistakes, either well, avoiding the mistakes are, are much better, but if we, you know, we get mad or insulted or offended or we say something mean and we learn from it you know, and transform our heart, then our life feels really useful and meaningful and you know, we become old people who are really very kind and very cheerful because that's what we've cultivated during our life. So it it really all comes from how we choose to live moment by moment by moment. 
And so this is something that applies to the whole of our life. It's not about Sunday morning and what we do. And it's not about being in a certain room or whatever. It's about just, you know, how we relate to whoever happens to be in front of us at that particular time. Yeah? And that's our spiritual practice. And so really trying to cultivate a kind heart. And, you know, sometimes it happens. Our emotions just really run wild. But, you know, in the Buddhist teachings, there's a lot of um, teachings on how to remedy our afflictive emotions. And when we're angry, how, how to change that anger. Yeah? When we feel left out or excluded, how to change that feeling. When we feel unloved, you know, how to change that. And, uh, and so there's these methods to practice that actually give us a whole new way of looking at situations. And when we look at a situation in a new way, how we experience that situation also changes. Because so much of how we experience things depends on the mental state we have when we go into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, you know, you could have come here. There's a lot of new people today. So you could have come here and gone. <laughs> Where am I going? And who are these people? And I don't. I don't know so many of them, and they kind of look weird. <laughs> and I don't know if they're going to like me, and anyway, I might not like them. Where am I going? Who are they? And so, if you come into a situation like that, that's how you're going to experience it. You know, like, maybe these people want something from me. Yeah. Or you go, you come, and you go, oh, I'm going to someplace new and different with really different kinds of people who have different ideas, and this is going to be really exciting because I get to really broaden my scope and, you know, learn something new. And, and this is cool, you know, to meet new people and be exposed to new ideas, and I really look forward to that. So if you come with that kind of idea, then you can have a really good time. So, you know, how we experience things depends so much on what we're thinking and what our attitude is when we go into the situation. So that's why we, we, you know, uh, you've probably all heard how Buddhists meditate. So, you know, this is why we do meditation practice, because it's our time to be alone with ourselves and to cultivate positive attitudes and positive emotions that then we can take with us in our heart, you know, throughout the day when we're interacting with different people. Okay? So that's a little introduction. Um, There's, I left some time so that you can ask questions or make comments or, you know, ask me to talk about what you're interested in. So, it's yours now. Please, you know, don't feel shy about asking questions. 
You may be afraid everybody in the room is going to think you're an idiot if you ask a question. But let me tell you, probably your question is the same question a few other people in the room have. And they're going to go, oh, I'm so thankful <laughs> that the person asked it. <laughs> exactly what you mean. <laughs> I've had that experience many times. <laughs> yeah. And uh, from my own experience in that, what I've, what I've noticed is, um, you know, because they talk about rationalizing and justifying and explaining away and everything like that. And so I think when you start to, to meditate and get more and more in touch with yourself, then what happens is the time between when you thought you were right and when you realize that you goofed becomes shorter. <laughs> and, and I've realized within myself that when I'm uh, kind of explaining away to myself how what I said or did was really good, I have a certain kind, when, when it's not, when I really had a crummy motivation, but I'm not owning up to my crummy motivation, there's a certain feeling I have inside. Certain feeling of not being completely at ease with myself. And I know that when I have that feeling, it's because I'm trying to make up the story to convince myself that what I did was really good when inside my heart I know it wasn't. And so I know when I have that feeling that it's much better from the get-go to just say, I made a mistake, here's what the mistake was, and take responsibility and clear it up. And then I can go on and not have to waste so much money trying, or, or dwell time especially, but also money, you know, explaining things away to myself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but it takes some time for you to, to develop this sensitivity so that you know when your mind is making up stories that aren't so good, you know. Like you have some interaction with somebody, and somebody said something that was like, what in the world is this person saying? And it's like, so then you tell them, you know, what you're saying is just, it doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't make any sense because of this and this and this. And, you know, you're always saying these stupid agios, and, you know, just kind of chill out and listen to me for a while. And, you know, we talk to people like that. Yeah. And then we go back afterwards and we're like, oh, good, I stuck up for myself because, well, you know, what that person was saying was, you know, they were trying to control me and they were running my life and blah, blah, blah. And so it was really good I did that. Yeah. But then inside, you feel like, or at least I do, you know, when I say things, do you know, then at, you, the, you develop this sensitivity. It's like, mm, actually, I don't feel so good about saying that. <laughs> yeah. 
Really, if I'm honest, I said that because I wanted to hurt that person's feelings. If I'm really honest, yeah, you know, I said it because I was mad and I wanted to hurt their feelings and I wanted to prove to them that I'm right and they're wrong, you know, so that I can be the victor. But, you know, I didn't do it with a very kind attitude. I did it with a very self-centered attitude. And so, you know, when I see that in myself, you know, as much as I can just to admit it right away to myself, you know, yeah, I, I had a, a motivation to hurt somebody and I probably said something that did and I really don't want to continue to talk to people like that in my life. You know, so I got to kind of do some work on my anger and, you know, <clears throat> maybe learn some communication skills so that I can say what I need to say, but not in a way that accuses somebody else or hurts their feelings. You know? And so if I own it and clear it up in my own heart, then it, it works out much better. But then there's some things that, like you said, you know, still we aren't so sensitive and it takes a year or two years or sometimes five or ten before we realize, like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then sometimes you just have this aha moment and you go, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, I know, for example, when I was a teenager, I mean, I had problems with my parents because... Um, you know, kind of completely normal thing. And I felt like my parents were trying to control me. I mean, I was 16 and almost enlightened. <laughs> you know, my parents were, you know, much older, but really stupid. <laughs> um, you know, and they're trying to control me and they're being overprotective and they don't trust me because I can go here and do that or this and that and I'm not going to get in any trouble. And, you know, why are they always setting limits and curfews and this and that and, you know, feeling really, you know, not very happy with them. And, of course, from my parents' side, what does it look like? Like, oh, she's 16 and she thinks she can manage yourself in this world, well, you know, <laughs> my parents had a bit more experience and they were really concerned for my safety. Yeah. So I was arguing about my autonomy and my parents were arguing about my safety and we were totally missing each other because I was imputing all these motivations onto my parents that they didn't have. I was saying they're trying to control me, they don't trust me, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't what was going on in my parents' mind. It was, you know, we're concerned, we don't want her to get hurt. Yeah. But they didn't real, you know, they didn't understand what I was fighting about, and I didn't understand what they were fighting about. So we're totally missing each other. Totally. And it wasn't until many years later that I kind of went, Oh, they were saying all of that because they cared about me. Yeah, not because they were trying to control me. It was because they cared about me. And okay, sure, of course, they could have expressed it in a better way. But really their motivation was one of care. And I, wow, I never realized that. 
And then all the anger I had, just like, gone. Yeah. And I realized, wow, I had said a, a bunch of things that really weren't so cool. Okay, yeah? Is there um, karmic ramifications if we're oblivious? If you're what? Oblivious. Oblivious. Oblivious, I mean. Oblivious. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. You know, because if we're oblivious, who knows what we say and do without really considering. Are, Are you talking about being oblivious to our motivation or oblivious to details in the external situation? Oblivious to our, say that we think, um, say our intention, we think it's really, really good, mm-hmm. but really we're delusional about our intention and what we're doing is really bad, but we don't realize it until 10 years later. Yeah. So. There's karmic effect to that, yeah. 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 That's why, you know, it's so good to, to really, every morning, like, take the time and just generate the motivation. And sometimes when we're not really sure what we're doing, just say, I don't need to decide right now. You know, let's, I can wait, look at my motivation, check up, and then, then act. Other yeah. questions? Don't all line up afterwards <laughs> to ask your own question. <laughs> it's a good time to ask it. Well, yeah. the follow-up question to that is, is, uh, is the karma from something oblivious different than the karma from something intentional? Okay. So, um, is the karma from something you do when you're oblivious different from the karma when it's intentional? Well, you know, sometimes when we're oblivious, we do have an intention. Mm-hmm. We're just, what's oblivious to us is our intention. Okay? That's why I asked, is it oblivious to details in the situation which would have changed how you would have thought or act? Or was it de- oblivious to what your intention was? Because there's a difference between those two. You know? Like, I, maybe I thought somebody stole something. There I'm oblivious to the situation, and I wouldn't have said what I had said if I had had all the information. Yeah, but maybe I knew somebody stole something, but the way I dealt with it was really in a very harmful way, not realizing that what I was saying was was uh, you know not so skillful. Okay, so there's, there's going to be different results according to what we were oblivious of about. Okay. And it does happen. I mean, sometimes we don't have all the information in a situation. And we're just kind of, we say or do things because we don't really know what the situation is. And then when we learn what the situation is, then we go, oh, I wouldn't have said or done that if I had known that this was what was really happening. So in that kind of one, we didn't necessarily act with a bad motivation. It was just we lacked information. And I think a lot of human misunderstandings happen because of this. 
you know, we don't have the, all the information of, in a situation. Or sometimes we misunderstood the information. Yeah? So it's always good to check when we're interacting with people, you know, did, did you say this? Did you mean this when you said this? And sometimes the person goes, yes. And sometimes they said, I didn't mean that. I didn't say that. And we realize it's coming from our misunderstanding of the situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have another karma question, actually. Uh So um, the karma, the that we create, the the experience, the situations we're in and who we're in them with, as well as how we experience those situations. Mm, Yeah. So uh, karma, I mean, fill in. Karma means action. And the actions, verbal, physical, mental, that we do, leave like a residual energy trace, you could say. And this influences the situations in which we find ourselves, who we're reborn as, and it can also color our experience, how we interpret the things. Okay? So, for example, let's say in a previous life, we were... um, in, a, in some kind of, let's say we were in a war situation, and so cultivating a lot of anger towards the enemy, suspicion of other people, uh, hypervigilance and stuff like that, then this lifetime as a result, you know, experiencing fear, you know, not, not feeling so secure, even in situations that maybe aren't dangerous, but the mind is predisposed towards filtering a situation in that way. Mm-hmm. So for those of us who discover after 10 years, <laughs> what, what would be um, an appropriate action to take to help redress that? Yeah. Well, I think the first, the first thing to do is within ourselves to say, Okay. Okay. Then you have to see what the situation is with the other person. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, definitely we have to change our uh, our way, our internal feeling about the other person. So, for example, if we were really angry at somebody and did something very vicious towards them, thinking it was really good, and then ten years later we go. Yikes! <laughs> then you know, first thing is to to do to re- address the the anger that we felt, and so to meditate on loving kindness and to cultivate a, uh, an attitude of um, patience and kindness and benevolence towards the person that we that we had harmed before, and then you have to see what the situation is with the person. Sometimes the person's died, you know. And so, but still, the important thing is, is that in our own heart, we changed our feeling about it, even though we can't go to them and say anything. Sometimes we know, you know, in our hearts that it's time for us to go to that person and to apologize after 10 years. Yeah? And then sometimes, you, then you have to suss out, well, what's going on with the other person? Do, you know, are they ready to talk about it again? If they aren't ready to talk about it, maybe you have to wait. Or maybe you have to write it in a letter instead of seeing them. 
So you have to kind of see what the situation is. But if you can go to the person and just apologize, then it, it you know, is very clearing of everything. But in some situations, like I said, this, there, it's not possible to apologize directly to the other person. But the important thing is that in a, inside of ourselves, we changed our attitude towards them. That's the important thing. Yeah. Um, I heard this story once about a, a cattle rancher who, uh, you know, killed a lot of livestock for, you know, producing meat and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then um, later on in his life became a Buddhist and mm -hmm. had a lot of regret for mm -hmm. killing all the livestock. And something about the suggestion of him buying, like, worms that fishing places and releasing mm -hmm. them on all that mm -hmm. to create merit. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, so in the situation somebody was a cattle rancher and then later regretting Realized. doing that, I think the prince is very good that he regretted the, the lives. And, you know, it's good to do some kind of uh, behavior that's the opposite of what you did, or some kind of spiritual practice to kind of clear away the negative energy we created. Uh, so we have in Buddhism a practice called animal liberation, where we take animals that are about to be killed in some way, and we save them and we liberate them. So one of the uh, ways that people often do this is with worms that are live worms that are going to be used as uh, bait for fishing. Yeah, and then they buy the worms and then they liberate them in some kind of soil, you know, where they can live happily ever after. Um, yeah, or uh, sometimes in, in Buddhist countries, people will buy fish, you know, or, or seafood that's still alive and then liberate it back into, into the ocean. So, uh, or sometimes birds that were about to be killed. Yeah. <laughs> One time, <laughs> I... I've spent a number of years in India, and uh, uh, my teacher has a Dharma center in um, in New Delhi, a city. And I walked in the Dharma center one day, and there's this chicken walking around. <laughs> and I looked, and thought, what's this chicken doing here? And somebody said, oh, well, it was about to be killed, and Rinpoche bought it, you know, and, and liberated it, so... You know, that, that kind of thing. Oh, oh for example, um, down the hill, one of the people down the hill, um, they had three sheep, and they were going to slaughter their sheep and uh, put them in the refrigerator. And so we, we bought the sheep from them, and we can't keep the sheep up here because we don't have fences. But we found somebody who would, you know, keep the sheep and just mm -hmm. let them live for the extent of their life, lifespan. So. Does that undo karma, poor karma or bad karma, like creating good merit then? Yeah, well, what we call merit is good karma, you know? So things, actions that are done out of a kind motivation or actions done out of restraining ourselves from, you know, doing harm. Yeah, that's what we mean by merit. So things we do when we're generous, when we keep good ethical conduct, when we, you know, help other people, when we are honest, sharing, things like that. 
got a question. Mm -hmm. A couple years ago, I had an experience down in Spokane at One World, uh, the restaurant was fragged, where a monk came by to bless the place. Mm -hmm. And mind you, the door was open, where I was fragged, pretty busy street. And we got in the circle, we began to pray, and it just got silent. I mean, it's like the whole place was enveloped in silence. Mm -hmm. And it lasted until we finished with the prayer, and then we could hear all the noises and everything. That, that really touched me. So that's, you know, one of the reasons why I'm here. I'm uh -huh. interesting to learn more about that practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, I think, you know, when... Uh, you see, you're talking about the pra somebody making prayers or doing some chanting, some verbal chanting, and just the effect that it has on everybody around them. Yeah, that's very true. It does. And um, did you want us to do some chanting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe we could do a little bit. I think that, you know, the um, uh, without the prostrations, but the Namo Benza Sethya Munifo, and we all do it together without the alternating, but I'll sing all of it. Okay. Yeah, we'll just do a little bit and you can listen, okay? This is, this is a, a chant from the Chinese tradition, and the meaning is um, I pay homage to our fundamental teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. So it's a way of just paying homage and having respect. And, all. and we usually do it uh, while bowing, but we won't do that today because then we have to change everything. So we'll just do it seated, everybody together, not alternating. Mm, maybe, maybe just four. No.
So I'll dedicate now at the end of our session. So in our, we'll do some chanting just for a minute, but uh, what you think is, you know, rejoice at uh, spending your time doing something really useful and meaningful in your lives and rejoice at the good energy you created as an individual and the good energy that everybody here created. And then let's take it all together and dedicate it and send it out into the universe so that it ripens in the well-being of each and every living being. Due to this merit, may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious body mine not yet born arise and grow. May the born have no decline, but increase forever. <laughs>